house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. If I play it, I make you famous and him rich. You said me famous and him rich, yes? <laughs> if you take the ride, you must pay the price. What the hell you know about the blues? I gave you a damn good track. You want it, you sing need no man to take care of me. My lonely days are over. And life is like a song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast keeping the oral history of Edwin McCain's trailer appearances. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Joe Reed. Joseph, how are you this morning? You can't tell, but from my sound booth, I am giving you the most intense Beyonce eyes right now, so... Just so. I I will get you your bottle of gin. I swear. <laughs> Just please, please calm down. But we we're having a special episode today because at last a guest has come along. Indeed. Um, we're very excited for this guest. You know her as a writer for Bitch Media and the co-host of the Bad Romance podcast, which I love, and I need to actually catch up to it because I saw you guys just did an episode on just on uh, Drop Dead Fred this week. Again, that's another weird staple of my childhood. But this is a long lead up to say hello, Jordan Searles. Hey, hello. welcome. Hello, we're so excited to have you today. Happy to be here. So um, tell us what title you have selected for us and our listeners. Yes, I have chosen 2008's Cadillac Records. I love it. I mean, this was one that I've kind of wanted to do for a while, A, because I hadn't seen it, but B, like... We it took us forever to do like musical biopics. Um, was the first one I saw the light, Joe, when we had Erica on? If not the first one, like one of the first ones, I can't. One remember of the first ones, off like... of the top of my head, any others? So yeah, yeah, musical biopics, a uh, an unexpected fave with guests. So yes. <laughs> Um, but I mean, like, it's something that's always such a staple of the Oscar race, and there's so few that we can really kind of discuss that, like, didn't land with Oscar in some way. What right. made you want to pick this one? Um, well, I it was a Beyonce performance that I had not seen, and I am, you know, very into her. But also, I was thinking a lot about Adrian Brody recently, and I wanted to look <laughs> back at him because i feel like his whole thing was like i'm white but like 
black people were d- I'm down with them like I feel like that was this whole thing for the longest time and then of course that crashed and burned when he did that uh, bad SNL intro <laughs> oh my god because he lost all of his cred with us in about wait like, I don't remember second. that what happened he, there he was introducing I believe Sean Paul and he and he basically puts on like Rasta dreads no. and he's just like and he's just like, uh, yeah, man, here's, no! here's Sean Paul. I remember this. And <laughs> oh, would, no. Ugh. Man, Jamaica, man, you know, you know, Rastafara, you know. You got the whole family in the house, you know. You know, me got, me got Sean Peter, you know, you got Sean Paul, you got Sean Mary. And it was a weird thing because, like, I don't know if you know this, but black people loved Adrian Brody for a long time. Like, my mom didn't even, like, wasn't even into white men. And she was like, Adrian Brody, like, that's a hot white man. Like, we were really on board and he kind of killed it. <laughs> You know, it's funny because I always look back at that, his big Oscar uh, win, obviously the big surprise best actor win. And then he goes up on the stage and he, you know, like severely kisses Halle Berry, like sort of like dips her and everything. And I remember every time I go back to that, I'm like, people didn't make a big deal out of that back then. And I'm like, I can't imagine people thinking it was charming. And now it's like, dude, I know absolutely not what the well, especially because yes. if you look at Hallie and Hallie's not into it, like and <laughs> or like it's trying to like seems like she's passing off surprise at like passing off like disgust as surprise or something like that. But every time I see that scene now or that moment now, I always feel bad for her. And then he sort of like dined out on that moment for the next like five years of his career. Well, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a thing where it's like, yes, me, I sleep with black women. I mean, <laughs> and, like, I feel like that just like gave him a lot of cred for for a while. And I feel like Cadillac Records is the ultimate exercise in that cred. And I'm just going to say off the top, he's really bad in this movie. <laughs> I really I did don't, not I'm like glad- him in it. <laughs> He's, like, got to be a big topic. We'll definitely get into it. I fully don't understand him being cast in this role, and I do think that he's not good in this movie. Like, distinctly the least good person in this movie. Oh, yeah, I, think this, uh, I think this is a very good cast, actually, once you get into, especially the people playing the the great sort of music legends in this. Um, yeah. But then you get to, like, the Adrian Brody, Emmanuel Shrieky sort of side of the cast, and it's just like, oh. But I remember, yeah. spe- like... I was really into Adrian Brody as, like, a sexy guy as well, but only in um, Summer of Sam. Oh, yeah, Summer of Sam. And I don't know why that always just sort of, like, sticks out in my head, is just being, like, Adrian Brody is super hot in Summer of Sam. And I think he's just, he's got this, like, extreme punk aesthetic in that. Or, like, not even, like, genuine punk, but, like, touristy punk, which makes him hotter in that movie for whatever reason for me. (laughs) And, like, I don't know what that's about, but, like, that's a movie I really should go back and revisit because I remember really liking it, and it was so divisive at the time. I like it. But it also kind of, like, launched his career. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Before we, like, get into the movie, though, like, we have you on as a guest, and we always love to talk about Oscar origins for people. So what was the first, like, time that either the Oscars got on your radar or something you cared about? Or, like, do you care about the Oscars that much? Like, we're the crazy obsessives. Talk to us about, like, what Oscar means to you. It was 
was it was always on my radar, but I never watched it because uh, for a while I was just like, okay, I'm just this like southern hick. Like a lot of these movies, I have not seen or do not come to Augusta, Georgia, where I'm from. Like very rarely mm-hmm. do we get like independent film or like fancy Oscar movies. So the Oscars was always just like, huh, I wonder what that is. I remember the first like us big Oscar movie that I remember having watched in Georgia was Cold Mountain and I was really excited because I was like finally Mm -hmm. one that I had actually seen Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have not seen Cold Mountain in a really long time but uh, the first time that I got really excited about the Oscars like as a thing like I was invested was in 2010 um, for it was for the Hurt Locker but it's funny because I've never seen it but I was really excited about this idea of like a a female filmmaker you know getting her due because of course uh, the piano was like before my time so I was not aware of the whole thing with that although I do like Mm -hmm. the movie but I was too young to you know watch the Oscars but uh so Catherine Bigelow getting her big you know win the big narrative with her in 2010 Mm -hmm. for the Hurt Locker that was when I was that I became like really invested because I just I remember watching her and looking at her and just being like oh my god she's so cool she's like cool as hell and she's winning for this like very kind of like masculine movie and I just thought that she was the best. I was mm-hmm. like really enamored with her. And so the, after that, I started watching it um, pretty regularly. And I think the, the year after that, I watched it because I wanted the True Grit remake to win a bunch of stuff. And it didn't really. But... It wouldn't anything. <laughs> yeah. One of the big holdouts. Ten nominations and no wins. Yeah. And I loved that, like, true, because, because you know, Southern, we get Western, so I saw True Grit in the theater, and I was really pumped for it to win, because I think it's a great movie, and then it didn't win anything, and I saw that the King's Speech really swept, and I didn't understand, and I was mad. I think that was the first time I was mad. <laughs> yeah. I feel like when we talk to people about their early Oscar experiences, it's one of the two. It's that a movie they really loved did really well with the Oscars or a movie they really loved, like, got a bunch of nominations, but then got beat by other movies that they then, Mm -hmm. like, hated. And I feel like it's it's either you're either born through, like, joy or pain. And it's, like, one of the two (laughs) of them. And I think that's... Well, and Catherine Bigelow's win is a great joy. I love that answer. Yeah. Yeah, I was really, I, you know, I went back and I started watching all of her stuff. And, of course, I love her. Um, the Hurt Locker is actually where I, like, taper off with her. Like, I like all of her movies before The Hurt Locker. After The Hurt Locker, I have almost no interest in her movies. <laughs> <laughs> Does she have something coming out, like, soon? I feel like we're due for another big Catherine Bigelow movie, right? Yeah, because... I, I guess because um... Detroit came came and went so so swiftly maybe it feels like it's been longer than it has been but yeah yeah detroit was a real like stillborn kind of thing which i'm fine with because i i was not rooting for that film no i don't know if anybody really was after it came out and like people saw it and i think that's one of those movies that like you could tell too that like they released it in the late summer and i remember as somebody who at the beginning of the year i was sort of really excited for that movie just from the talent involved and I kept being like, no, late summer can work. Like, late summer worked for, late and I like sort of like, worked. and it has worked, but it's just like, I don't know, for a movie like that, that feels like the best version of that movie is going to be, you know, sort of probing and hard hitting or whatever, like that 
feels like a late fall to me. And I think once it came out, everybody was like, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's I know. also because we anticipated something different than what that movie ended up being. And then what yeah. the movie ended up also being was not very good and not very thoughtful. Right. right. Yeah. And I mean, my first word about Detroit was like, um, I knew critics. And this was before, like, I got screeners or got invited to screenings or anything. So I was just following a bunch of critics, hoping that someone would invite me to something one day. Yeah. And I was following, I, I was following, I think, Angelica J at Vulture and she talked about how traumatic it was just watching the film and how like I remember viscer- her piece and it was a great piece viscerally upset she was and so I was really upset especially because like I think that Catherine Bigelow was able to cover black people in a good way at some point and that was strange days and I feel like her <laughs> her understanding of black people has diminished since strange days which I right. find to be really fascinating mm-hmm. yeah um, it's also just this thing where it's like in that movie specifically, it's like there's a humanity that's robbed out of it because of what we're forced to watch the whole time in a way that feels removed. That it's like, I don't think that that is at all an appropriate repro- approach for that material. Yeah. And it just becomes like offensive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so those were mine and I and I watch the Oscars every year now, mostly so that I can yell. I do a lot of yelling <laughs> yeah. at the Oscars and it's it, it's very fun for me. <laughs> Actually before I was active on Twitter like as a critic and as a comedian, I was active I would I would log on to Twitter once a year to live tweet the Oscars. Like that was that's the, that was the only <laughs> thing I did. <laughs> and then I would log out. I would never look at what anybody said about my tweets ever. It was it's actually... truly the greatest night on Twitter. It, it ends up, it <laughs> does end up being like, I end up getting like hundred more followers on Oscar night just because like all that stuff gets like popped up in people's feeds so much. And like it all just like everybody's swirling around, like co- commenting on everybody else's. And it's, it's wild to me because I find that to be, a suboptimal way of watching the Oscars. I had, I, I had been, I've worked the night of the Oscars, not counting last year, like the last like five years or so. And I remember, I always think about that as I'm like writing as I'm watching the Oscars and I'm like, this is no way to watch the Oscars. <laughs> like this is no, like for somebody who actually enjoys it, mm-hmm. I just, I'm just like, uh, just let me stop writing. Just let me put down like my computer and just actually watch this thing. And, it's just like my my job because I love the Oscars so much has made it to a point where like oh you'll never be able to just enjoy the Oscars purely <laughs> like there's always going to be an element of work to it and it's just like okay great I, I at least try to keep Twitter to commercial breaks yeah for myself and like tweeting maybe as people go to the stage you know which like ABC wants to complain about all that time it takes it gives us so much time to tweet you guys. I know it is true. <laughs> I love how long the Oscars is. Like making the Oscars shorter, just that idea just irritates me. Actually, it's just you are one yeah. of us. You are <laughs> welcome yes. into our group because yes, the Oscars should well, be as long as it wants to be. I, I've I've advocated for that for years. Well, now that you are in uh, the fold, we are actually going back a year before 
The Hurt Locker and Catherine Bigelow's monumental win to talk about Cadillac Records. Uh, it's written and directed by Darnell Martin. She's a female director of color. We should have been celebrating that at the time with this movie. We will get into that and among other things of why this movie kind of came and went quickly. As we mentioned, it stars Adrian Brody and Beyonce. She's playing Etta James. Jeffrey Wright as uh, Muddy Waters. I have previously mentioned on this podcast, he is the greatest living actor without an ask acting nomination. Gabrielle Union, I definitely want to talk about her. Columbus Short, Emmanuel Shakri, Cedric the Entertainer, Most Deaf. This cast is huge. Who else am I missing? Uh, you got so many people. I, there's... Iman Walker is in it. The guy, um, from, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. from Oz and such, playing uh, Howlin' Wolf. And... Who else? And, Tammy Blanchard shows up for a second. Yeah, um, Tammy Blanchard, who, like, shows up, like... Okay, Tammy Blanchard was a little weird in this movie before we get into the 60-second plot description because I was like, why is she... Co like, I get that she's supposed to be this rich white woman, but, right. like, her costumes felt more out of, like, community theater, and, like, Tammy Blanchard came in with this two-scene role and was like, I gotta take, you guys. <laughs> I have a feeling that, like, Tammy Blanchard is probably, like... A lot, but in a way that I would appreciate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Just from, like, her film roles. Like, she manages to, like, make a meal out of the smallest stuff. I'm thinking of her in Rabbit Hole, where she's so yeah. good in Rabbit Hole. She's amazing in uh, uh, The Invitation. God, I've... Okay, so it's about. October, so I'm always recommending people scary oh, movies and i'm just like watch the invitation she's so good in it that movie is so good uh yes. can't recommend it highly enough uh, but Cadillac Records, it debuted. It did not on uh, the first weekend of December in 2008. It didn't play any festivals. This weekend is like kind of notoriously a dumping ground, at least if you're a wide release. Um, but even so, like I can't believe that it did as little as it did. We'll, I was we'll shocked seeing what the box office ended up being, but yeah, it, we definitely I mean, I don't feel like it was really advertised that well. It, it yeah. seemed like, and also it's weird that it wasn't at TIFF. Like now that I've been to yes. TIFF two years in a row, yes, this is a absolutely. TIFF movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to, uh, like I tried to go back and find it, but like it, once you get into like this time period, if you're not like certain, it's hard to find. I feel like this might have been a late minute, a last minute addition to the cast calendar year and like it wasn't necessarily a movie we were talking about even at tiff time so like they maybe shoved it in at the last minute and like it just didn't have that much time to register yeah i'm thinking but i couldn't like verify that um but anyway cadillac records before we get into it jordane would you like to give us our 60 second plot description uh, yeah i feel like i'm just gonna go really short on this one yes <laughs> <laughs> you probably have one of the easier movies <laughs> to do i would say yeah yeah because there's like a lot kind of going on but it's all pieces so if you are ready i will start the timer okay yes i'm ready all right, Jordane Searles, your 60-second plot description of Cadillac Records starts now. So we have Adrian Brody. He plays Leonard Chess, and he starts managing um, some musicians, starting with Muddy Waters, played by Jeffrey Wright. And then he basically, you know, uh, rises in acclaim and adds more and more musicians and all the musicians come and they all have their own drama and then he has his own drama and then he has a thing with Etta James which was kind of weird and then there's like this whole like it uh, brought about this whole generational change blah 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 Q-tip <laughs> <laughs> 
yes. I had to mention Q-tip because that was so weird to me. I feel like that's how we should end all our 60-second plot descriptions from now on. Blah, it's blah, just blah, 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 Q-tip. Ten seconds, though. Ten seconds if you got anything more to get in there. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, you really kind of did get it all in there. The movie's incredibly episodic in terms of, like, how it deals with um, people like Chuck Berry. Yeah. Um, in that, like, it kind of drops people really quickly. Like, even Muddy Waters, who starts the movie as a co-lead with Leonard Chess, fully once Etta James shows up, is gone from the story. But also, it takes such a long time for Etta James to show up. I was kind yes, of like... A full hour feel, into the movie. I feel like such a <laughs> stereotypical stan. I'm not, I promise. But <laughs> I was sitting there waiting. Where is Beyonce? Where is she at? Like, I don't understand. Because I know that she was like a producer on this movie, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Even though it's yep, not on the Wikipedia page. Um, yeah, and so I was like, it's weird that she's an executive producer of this movie and she doesn't show up until an hour and it almost made me feel like she was like it's not almost not diva like to be like yeah. yes i can just not be in this movie it's fine mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when well, I, I show up i'll do what i need to do <laughs> it, the interesting thing about beyonce in movies is we don't ever we don't have any examples of beyonce being like this grand diva figure in a movie. I feel like she's been like remarkably a team player, but even in, but even in dream girls, right? Like who gets right. Like she gets to have like the diva worship moment, but Dina Jones is never an actual diva. And and Jennifer Hudson's the one, but I mean sort of like in real life, like, you know, the the way you would expect like a musical figure uh, of Beyonce's prominence, like Beyonce doesn't steamroll uh, dream girls. She's a huge team player in a movie like Cadillac records. Even, a movie like obsessed where like she blows um ali larder off of the screen in both star power and in ability in that movie she Mm -hmm. still shares that movie with her like she's an incredibly like generous film presence actually which is kind of like which goes counter to the uh, this idea of like you know queen beyonce like you know stomping all over the world yeah the thing about beyonce is that she's really just not like she's like very she's very southern which i think is what i connect with her so much as she's very Mm -hmm. like southern mom she's like i'm here to help and then when i'm done i'm gonna go away i have other things to do right (laughs) right yeah which i think also relates back to like why there's not a whole lot of movies with her and it is it's i think there's a limited amount that she's interested in being in movies i'm actually surprised that she was looking back i'm surprised that she's in the fighting temptations which is my (laughs) which is my introduction and it's because it's a cuba gooding jr movie and she's just like no i'm just here um cuba do your thing (laughs) well i mean that was like when she was a little bit younger was she still with destiny's child during that time or was that like right when they ended i it might have been i remember trying to remember what year that movie started to i think they broke up in like the mid 2000s like 2005 or something like that Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I think their last album came out in 2004. So actually, yeah, that she was still sense. with the fighting. Yeah, she was still with them when she did Fighting Temptations. I remember that. And I remember the the soundtrack for that movie, too, because it was like her and Missy Elliott and a bunch of other people. And she's barely on the track on the soundtrack. She's like, no, Missy Elliott is here. <laughs> she gives the track. Yeah, to I Missy looked it up. Entirely. Fighting Temptations is 2003. So it would have been right before their last album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, this movie is very, (laughs) I was kind of obsessed with it. Like, I wasn't sure if I wanted to, I, 
I had been avoiding it because I thought it was going to be this like long, cringy thing that I was going to hate. Um, and mm -hmm. it was cringy in parts, but um, it was it was actually really interesting. And like, uh, of course, like Darnell Martin, she directs a lot of television, but she yeah. um, she directed mm -hmm. the TV movie of Their Eyes Were Watching God, which I watched, which is also why I thought, oh, no, this is going to be really melodramatic. Um because it's not my their eyes were watching god is not my favorite adaptation i kind of wish mm -hmm. someone would do it again um and she yeah she only really had like one other thing and it was just like this little indie movie about like an interracial relationship which is i thought i like it like that yeah 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 um yeah which i've been meaning to watch but it's yeah it was really interesting finding out that darnell martin was this like black woman director who i had never really no one really thought about it. and then I looked at a picture of her. There's a picture of her if you look with her and Beyonce and they look exactly the same and it's really weird. <laughs> it looks like oh, they're related. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, the, uh, first off the bat, I want to say that like I feel like this movie is not that good, but I feel like it would have been a hundred times better if Cedric the Entertainer was not doing this narrating. narrating. Yeah, I, I did really not bad. get the... And the fact I would that also they, say, sorry, go ahead. Casting somebody other than Adrian Brody. Oh yeah, because he's the he's the most charmless thing about the movie for me, at least. And I think to a certain extent, like we can talk about musical biopics, and we I definitely want to talk a little bit more about Beyonce because I want to talk about this performance. But um, there, like this was a time, like if there ever was a time where we were tiring a little bit of the musical biopics, and I think this one has the disadvantage of not ever focusing on one artist and like being a little scattered because of it. Um, like Chuck Berry, like it gets maybe five minutes of screen time, and that's a like huge story that like deserves its own movie that maybe would be more interesting than this one. But that being said, I think the movie's really good. Yeah. Or I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. You know, um, I, I, you know, I was watching it with with my partner Kyle, and like he was, bo he was like, oh, a music biopic, I don't care. And then he was getting really into it just because it's kind of like, it's kind of soapy. It's got, yeah, it's it's got mm -hmm. like a lot of like interesting character work going. Jeffrey Wright is super fun in this movie, I think, when he's on screen. And I was really shocked to find out that like Gabrielle Union is great in this movie. Not that I, I was shocked to know that. Gabrielle Union can act. I've always known that, but just the fact yeah. that she's given actually stuff to do and stuff to say in this movie, and I think she's really strong in it. Mm hmm. It's actually I agree. a shame. I love her. It's actually a shame that she's not in more of the movie, but Gabrielle Union is yeah. very famously like never gets to be the star of movies ever for some I reason. Know. Or like when she does, like you just wish that they served her better. Like, did you guys see Breaking In last year? I did. I, I was really bummed out that it turned out Me to not too. be Me too. I was like, yes, I'm here to watch Gabrielle Union kill some men in her house. Yep. I yep. this is going to be the Gabrielle Union superhero movie I have wanted. Yep. And it just just like it, it doesn't deserve her. Yeah. No. Um, uh, but in terms of this movie, I think it has like a lot of like post Ray issues. I do love that. Like finally we're accepting the fact that Ray is kind of a bad movie, but I do think yeah. a lot of the worst um, elements of like Ray, like the pacing and like uh, everything is kind of in this too, kind of in that same vein. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that this movie doesn't do that Ray did a lot, which was, I'm going to show you a vignette and that's going to explain why this song exists. Like there's not a yeah. ton of that. Even the stuff like the really sort of like 
Etta James singing right into like boring a hole through Adrian Brody's eyes when she's like recording a song. It still doesn't ever feel like, oh, that's what at last was about. Like, thank God. Yeah, um, that's good. And I think Ray, I think, had that kind of uh, issue that a, that a lot of these musical biopics have. There is a certain casualness to this movie where it's like maybe aside from the at last scene, you don't get a whole lot of like what Ray does a lot, what Walk the Line did a lot, where it's like, you are watching history being made. Yeah. They are recording this historic song. Whereas, like, this is more like this is what it would have felt like to have done that as a business, and like how it would have been at this time in the music industry, and like they're touring throughout the South, and like yeah, yeah I found you a know, lot it's of less that about, like, really interesting. History. Yeah, yeah like, I it, it, and I feel like the business. Because the business stuff is so interesting, it's really kind of unfortunate that it's Adrian Brody at the center of it. Oh, by the way, yeah. I was reading, weren't there, there were Chess brothers. Why is it that Adrian Brody is just playing Leonard Chess and then Shiloh Fernandez yeah. plays Phil Chess in one scene? Like, I remember he was yeah. only in the scene where they introduced Etta James. And I don't even feel like Shiloh Fernandez's character is introduced at all. It's like, oh, He's here's not. Etta. <laughs> yeah. He's not introduced by name at all, which is funny. Shiloh Fernandez is in this movie to let you know that it was made in the year 2008, because that's the only year <laughs> that he like is able to appear on film. Like, his image just doesn't show up in any other year. It's very strange. Um, yeah, that was definitely, like, some story. Like, that's that was a note, I'm sure, at some point. It's just, like, too many people, cut one. And it's just, like, okay. Um, okay, but, like, it's the Chess Brothers. Like, yeah. it's so... <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's just Adrian Brody. And he... I, I don't understand this performance. It's almost like... Adrian Brody spends this entire movie like trying to convince black people that he's down. Like that seems to be his entire thing. Like I'm down. You can work with me. I like and especially the stuff with Edda where it's just like, oh, I understand struggle and like you are just like a little girl and you're just like and you're just being like dramatic and like this is what the real world. And it's just like, what are what is he doing? Um. <laughs> especially because it's like Adrian Brody. That's like, all right, dude. Like, it it should either be somebody who is more charming or, like, I hate to say it to people that like Adrian Brody, but, like, someone sexier or someone skeezier, like, someone who's more of a scumbag. But I yeah. liked the fact that we didn't have... I don't know. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm maybe a little bit less on this than you guys. I, I liked the fact that it was not a pure, sleazy sort of, like villain character while still at the same time when he's doing that stuff with Etta where it's just sort of like you know I know you know I know struggle that whole kind of thing that we in the audience are allowed to seek out that bullshit ourselves sort of like that we can sniff that out ourselves that Darnell Martin sort of trusts us to oh no I that. totally oh, agree yeah, with yeah, that I, totally I just agree. don't buy his portrayal yeah. of that or any of those other aspects I yeah. guess is what I'm saying I mean I notice this a lot when I watch like historical films where it's like black women in history and like the white men around them it's always just like the white men are just like like outrageous like if you've seen um introducing Dorothy Dangerich like every yes. like because all of her relationships in that movie are with uh, Dorothy's relationships are with white men and every white man is just like increasing just like unhinged which like maybe that's the point <laughs> but it's just <laughs> right. like right. but also it's it's also just like uh what Beyonce is giving 
is as as Etta is actually a really like like kind of like bare bones performance. Like she's really yeah. just like chilling and like I like the way that I like that she plays addiction this way because you know she has the heroin addiction and I feel like there's such a way to like really really go overboard and I felt like right. it was just like she was sad she did heroin you know she had a white dad that disowned her and. I never feel like that overtakes the screen. I guess that's why when Adrian Brody is so hard on her, I'm just like, but she's like doing her best. <laughs> I don't right. Yeah. I was going to say, it's interesting that you bring up um, uh, introducing Dorothy Dandridge and you mentioned their eyes were watching God earlier, both Halle Berry uh, TV movies. And I wonder if Cadillac Records, if this is a movie that's on HBO, that is like a December premiere HBO kind of movie. If then it be it it is remembered a little bit differently and doesn't become like a theatrical flop, but instead is something that HBO maybe like nurtures for like prestige awards show stuff at the end of the year. It's like maybe a Golden mm-hmm. Globe nominee or something like that. Because I feel like for a while there, and I don't know if it's I don't know if HBO is the place for this anymore. But like they they used to do TV movies specifically. That were I'm thinking of that Peter Sellers movie because I know where you're going with this. But also, this was the era of like not quite the era. This was maybe like a good decade removed from it. But like, like I remember like Alfre Woodard sweeping all the uh, uh, awards shows for like Miss Evers Boys or like yeah. um, that RKO uh, movie about Citizen Kane or mm-hmm. Lackawanna Blues or like oh, all this yes, sort of stuff. Lackawanna Blues. Like HBO really was able to kill it with this stuff that like probably movies that would have died on the vine in a theatrical setting for whatever reason that they weren't big enough or flashy enough or whatever. But like I mean it's perfectly not just HBO necessarily sized. awards. It's also like a prestige thing like that Peter Sellers movie that played in competition at Cannes. Right, 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 exactly. And I wonder if that might have been, I mean, it's, you know, hindsight or whatever. And honest, honestly, I'm always the advocate for, like, making something a theatrical release just because I prefer to see stuff that way. But, like, I wonder if Cadillac Records, the HBO movie, might have been a little bit better. I, I, better I agree. Received. I think so. I think that Cadillac Records would have done so much better as an HBO movie. And I would also, like, if I were to redo history, this would be an HBO movie and Bessie would have been a theatrical release. That's oh, that's a good call. Yeah. Because, that's a real good call. Absolutely. Because Bessie is like a feast for the eyes and the fact that it wasn't on the big screen just drives me insane. And <laughs> you get the feeling that Oscar voters are done dying to vote for Queen Latifah for something. Right. That would have been a great Oscar play for Queen Latifah. Like, I would have been so into that, especially because, like, oh, my God, I just love how gay it is. I love it. I I mean, I've written about how gay it is and how much I love that about it. (laughs) Um, And it also would have been a good... Like I'm just doing like Oscar um, fantasy football now. That's what um, we're here for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Go off. You are on the right podcast, madam. <laughs> like uh, su- a supporting nomination for Monique. In I that was movie. just about to say. Yep. Yes. Yep. Oh, that Her, been the so follow up, the like follow up nomination that uh, follows the big win. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, the other thing so is like if this had been like the type of HBO thing, and it's not to say that one is lesser or more so than the other, but right. just the way. HBO campaigns and like the type of things that can stick around on TV that like have a harder time to like just like tread water against a lot of competition is like 
Beyonce would be an Emmy winner <laughs> for this movie. Yes, 100%. Oh, yeah. They would yeah. have gotten her an Emmy for this. Um, just how good the performance is and, like, the yep. type of performance it is. Um, and how and I'm, HBO and how I'm like, not like distracted at all by the fact that she looks nothing like Etta James in it. Oh, not at all. <laughs> right. No. Right. Where they're just like, we um, can just put a blonde wig on her and it'll work, right? And it's just like, well... And in a slightly off-the-shoulder dress. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. That's Etta James, right? That's that's what she looked like. What Let's I find... some, like, strong, bold eyebrows. It's yeah. so funny. It's, it's so funny because, like, Beyonce's mom, Tina, looks more like Etta James than she does. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so true. Um, uh, uh, one performance that I wanted to uh, point out as a, like just so that we're not just picking on Adrian Brody, um, I think that Columbus Short is like a cartoon character in this movie. <laughs> like that's him as little Walter was like I was I don't know why, especially when his face like started like when he got the they really go to town on him with the makeup, <laughs> don't they? Though? They do, just... and I feel like that character specifically gets the brunt of it in this movie and I mean like you can't change history and it's like he had a, a hard life but like the movie really leans into that character in a way that I don't think sets that actor up for success but sometimes I did like him I think he really does have like, his moments look how sad in the movie I think he and Jeffrey Wright have a couple scenes opposite each other that are that I think Columbus Short does show up really well in he's also just I would I mean I hesitate to say like a tragic figure but like that's a that's a guy who like an actor whose career was really sort of like blossoming and going some places and he you know had a bunch of uh, personal problems that like he had he got like written out of scandal because he had domestic violence stuff and and oh, I, substance yeah. abuse stuff and it's just cool. like it's too bad and sort of watch him now in Cadillac Records after the fact there's a little like art and you know life sort of crossing over a little bit yeah he's mm-hmm. I mean like and I will say that like I I have personal feelings towards Columbus Shore because he was an actor that I was really rooting for for a long time and then he just really kind of like fucked up and I was like upset yeah. about it um mm-hmm. but yeah I mean I guess the kind of but the the kind of story it kind of feels like he's in his own movie that just like keeps on intruding onto the narrative and it's almost mm-hmm. just like there's enough going on with him like especially his scenes with Gabrielle Union which I actually think are really good I, I will say that I really liked those scenes um he just like because a lot of the movie is not as melodramatic as what he is going through at any given moment I think is mm-hmm. part of the problem yeah that makes sense I should mention Columbus Short, the only uh, the only one of Cadillac Records' seven NAACP Image Award nominations to win was Columbus Short that year. He beat out mm-hmm. um, co-stars Most Def and Cedric the Entertainer. So just oh. to Oh, well, yeah. there's not enough. Mo- I mean, like, part of it's like there's just not this. enough Chuck Berry, <laughs> but there's not enough Most Def. Most Def, if this was a Chuck Berry movie, like... It, Most Def could have been an Oscar nominee this for that. Movie should so have, this movie should have automatically greenlit a Chuck Berry movie for Most Def. He's, it's the perfect middle ground between like trying to make it like an SNL impersonation and not 
not seeming like him at all. Like it's like he's mm-hmm. he's just enough of that you know exactly who he is. He's got the body language of Chuck Berry down on in that stage stuff, but like he's not like going he's for in the movie for five minutes. Right. He, yeah. He's so most good. F is really good in this movie. That's another person who like has like domestic violence stuff that nobody talks about. Yeah. Um, oh, damn. <laughs> but uh, yeah, most F is such an interesting and charismatic screen presence that it's, I, I'll be like mad at him for a while because I'll just like think about bad things that he's did. And then I watch him as Chuck Perry in this movie and I'm just like, I mean, it, he's inarguably great in this movie. And and I kind of I feel like there's a dark comedy story about Chuck Berry that would have been really interesting, especially kind of like his whole thing with white women, which mm-hmm. I think is like a really fast because I mean, a lot of the time when we're looking at these older movies, like we only really see the relationships with white people as like antagonistic. And that's really all we see. But I would really love a Chuck Berry movie that's like, yeah, he was really into white women and it was kind of like his undoing in a lot of ways. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like it, it just this idea that he this person who meant so much to so many black people is just like obsessed with white women i think that the irony of that is actually really funny and it would be a really good movie to do it as like a dark comedy kind of a thing almost of just sort of like the well because he yeah well because also he talks about his um his friend jerry lee lewis yes (laughs) just totally throwing him under the bus i loved that part that was great yes (laughs) and i've seen that i've seen great balls of fire and wow the chuck berry movie would be definitely better than that movie. yeah that's yeah, like right. that's like i think it was like dennis quaid and winona Ryder. it was it was absolutely yes. that yes yeah Ugh. one of winona Ryder's earliest movies for uh-huh. sure that movie's so wild weird. yes can i give us a hard pivot to talk about the other underserved uh, musical character in this movie what the hell do we have to do to get Jeffrey Wright an Oscar nomination? He's been in a million of these movies. I'm surprised he's not one of our like patron saints of this podcast yet. The interesting thing about Jeffrey Wright is he's at his best when he's at his least showy, with the notable That's exception of Angels in America. Like, Angels in America, he won all those awards because it was the perfect marriage of, like... Jeffrey Wright, the ensemble genius, right, who, like, fits into an ensemble like a glove and is, like, perfect, Mm -hmm. and also gets these, like, huge highlight moments that, like, I will still, you know, queue up on YouTube if I need to, like, you know, whatever, zhuzh my day up or whatever. I'll watch him uh, give Lewis what for in the rain and and, uh, at the fountain about how I hate America. Like, it's so good. You know what your problem is, Lewis? Your problem is that you are so full of piping hot crap that the mention of your name draws flies. You don't know a thing one about this guy, do you? Well, ain't that pathetic. And just so the record's straight, I love Pryor, but I was never in love with him. I have a man uptown, and I have since long before I first laid eyes on the sorry-ass sight of you. I... I didn't know the other... No, because you never bothered to ask! Up in the air, just like that angel too far off the earth to pick out the details. Lewis and his big ideas. Big ideas are all you love. America is what Lewis loves. So what? Maybe I do. You don't know what I love. You don't. Hey, America, Lewis. I hate this country. Nothing but a bunch of big ideas and stories and people dying and then people like you. The white cracker who wrote the national anthem knew what he was doing. He set the word free to a note so high nobody could reach it. 
That was deliberate. Nothing on earth sounds less like freedom to me. You come with me to room 1013 over at the hospital, Lewis, I'll show you America. Terminal, crazy, and mean. I live in America, Lewis. I don't have to love it. You do that. Everybody's got to love something. But I think you look at something like Cadillac Records, and he's so brilliant in this movie because he's so non-showy and because he's Mm -hmm. so, like, you know, almost, like, low to the ground in this. Whereas... And, like, Jeffrey Wright has it in him to be a fucking ham. And I love it when he does shit like that. Like, um... Um, what was the Jake Gyllenhaal movie that was filmed like almost entirely at the Bean in uh, in Chicago? Um, where he's on the train, uh, you know, where he's uh, on the train. Source code. Thank you. Source code. And like Jeffrey oh Wright manages God, to be a huge code. ham in that movie, and like just like you give him a scene and he can like run all over it. And I think ideally, at some point, we're going to like find that like Angels in America esque like perfect marriage of, you know great Jeffrey Wright performance that is also like gives you a couple eclipse scenes or whatever and Mm -hmm. I don't know he's so wonderful in this movie though I mean I thought that this could be the year because I'd read the novel and like this is a huge role I thought it would be this year because of the goldfinch but like I think the goldfinch is a good example of like why it doesn't happen to Jeffrey Rush it's like even if he's great in it or Jeffrey Wright sorry Jeffrey Rush is another fucking ham that like Uh, Jeffrey Rush is not somebody I will say is underrated no Jeffrey Wright the reason it hasn't happened for Jeffrey Wright is because like he's good and understated in a lot of things that don't register with people he's really good in the goldfinch i will say that as the person who likes the goldfinch he's really good at it but it's that same thing of just like he's not going ham on that role he's just Mm -hmm. like exactly what that needs and uh, i really really like him in that movie I can't believe that he was in the Goldfinch and extremely loud and incredibly close. Yes. To <laughs> Some yeah. movies that like uh, were Tread really similar going ground, for Oscar. kind of. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Jeffrey Wright he also is, just plays a lot of senators. He uh-huh. does. Well, Who was it's he? Beca- well, it's Go because ahead. he's like such a like. I feel like his. The air that he gives off is stately, and so you find that he doesn't get to do a lot of, like, cool, fun shit because he just has, like, a serious voice and a serious face. And it's also why I was not aware of him until, like, I was an adult because nothing that I watched had him in it because he's in things Mm -hmm. that I've never seen. Like, I've never seen Basquiat. Um, (laughs) Oh, he's so... Find a way to watch Basquiat. He's amazing in that movie. He's so good. Okay. That's good. I will also say, I will point out very quickly, um, not to interrupt you, but I wanted to throw out there for just for just discussion purposes. His three movies that were released in 2008 are the wildest shit. It's Cadillac Records, where he plays Muddy Waters. Quantum of Solace, which he's once again back as um, Bond's friend or something. I don't know. I I can never quite tell what the... Right, right. I'm not as into Bond as other people, so like I know that that character is important. I'm um, a Bond nerd. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, then you can speak to that. I've never seen Quantum of Solace. I saw all the other Daniel Craig ones, but except for that one. But he's also this year in um, in W Oliver Stone's W playing Colin Powell, which again, if you haven't seen it, we will have to do. It's so time. insane. Him as Colin Powell. Um, and then Tandy Newton as Condoleezza Rice is the Westworld prequel you never knew you needed. It is really, really insane. I 
Yeah, There's something yeah. about Colin Powell that it's the, all the movies of the Bush administration, the only good thing in those movies are the people playing Colin Powell. Oh, yeah, my God. Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry is Colin Powell in <laughs> yes. Vice? Oh, my yes. God. Fucking love He's it. He's good in that movie. Yes. He's the only good thing about that movie. Even, like, Amy Adams is, like, cast out to sea <laughs> and is not good in that movie. Uh, but like Tyler Perry's good and um, Jeffrey Wright is really good in W I I mean like Colin Powell never really factors all that much into those narratives but like whenever that actor shows up it's like oh thank god you know how to like give us a tonic to this poison that's happening around (laughs) there's one part in W where he um, he like tells Rumsfeld to fuck off in a very sort of like ostentatious way that like I remember being like um oh no it's Cheney when um Cheney's sort of like taunting him about how uh he's he his presidential bid like fizzled out back when uh he was first starting he wanted to run and and Colin Powell just looks at him and just goes fuck you dick and it's just like it's such a great like um audience sort of like you know you want the audience to jump up and cheer at that moment so yeah (laughs) when you were saying his 2008 I thought you were saying this actual current year and I thought you were going to bring up that he is in the laundromat which is oh god disaster of the highest order (laughs) I haven't seen basically everyone involved I'm kind of excited now that everybody is like so so over the top like anti it like i'm i'm very much into now seeing this movie i yeah i oh, i don't man. know you have better things to do with 90 minutes of your day <laughs> um, <laughs> um i was gonna say something and i forgot oh yeah the to the james bond of it all yeah please 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 <laughs> He'll be back in next year's James Bond movie. Well, is he well, just another agent? What is he, what is he? Um, Felix is like uh, he's James Bond's like American correspondent. Like when James Bond is in America, uh, it's and um, whenever they need like an Amer- he's like the American liaison. It's like okay, we're meeting up with Felix and we're doing this thing. And yeah, he's usually of course white because I mean everybody in the Bond movies was right. So. Um, yeah, actually, uh, casting um, Jeffrey Wright as Felix was a really, like, inspired casting. It's a shame that he's cast as Felix in the movies that try so hard not to be fun. Because right. Felix can be fun um, as a character. And Quantum of Solace is such an interesting one because, like, it was during the writer's strike. So the re- right. part of the reason why it's so bad is because um, the writers were striking and then Daniel Craig actually stepped in as a writer and like wrote revision to the script and so a lot of like you can just do that right and it'll be good you can just like be a writer now yeah a part of the reason why quantum assault is so bad is because daniel craig is not a writer and he should not have been writing that's so funny but yes oh god james bond yeah can i also point out that there is going to be a cadillac records reunion next year when jeffrey wright and Adrian Brody are both in the new Wes Anderson movie, The French oh. Dispatch. Oh, yeah. Along I, with literally every other actor in Hollywood. I do love like, that. Well, like, like, Jeffrey... Go ahead. Oh, I do love that, like, Wes Anderson is, like, very slowly incorporating, like, black people. But he's I was going to say. In the weirdest way, because, like... I hate Isle of Dogs. It was one of the worst theater experiences I've ever movie. had I hate in that my movie life. too. Yeah. Um, but Courtney B. Vance as the narrator of Isle of Dogs, amazing. Yeah. He shouldn't be the narrator because it doesn't make sense, but he's great. 
He's got he's got good he's got good Wes Anderson narrator voice in that same way actually that like Alec Baldwin one of Alec Baldwin's best screen performances is as the narrator in Royal Tenenbaums like it's so perfect for that movie. Oh, but yeah, like Adrian Brody, I noticed that like he's not really in stuff now. He just does whatever Wes Anderson asks him to do. And that's yep. like his whole thing. He, now. he really has to have one of the like fastest diminishing returns of any Oscar winner in the past 20 years. Truly. <laughs> yeah. He's, had, because, he's like, had the arc that we sometimes graft onto women who win Oscars. Remember that whole thing about like the the Oscar curse for mm-hmm. uh, like Mira Sorvino or I'm trying to think of like other like actresses who won Oscars and then they're they're you know the roles sort of like dried up. And that's a little bit of a of an overblown thing, although it has like well, I, I think that that has more to do uh, with Mira Servino and like women of that ilk. It has to do a lot with like Harvey Weinstein and a lot of that. Now we're finding stuff. out for sure. Yeah. Right. But I also think it's one of those things where I just there's it's a it's a function of there not being enough good roles for women, just period that like everybody's right. fighting over the same, you know, you know, smaller number of things. But I think Adrian Brody sort of like has that arc in a way that like not a lot of best actors do and i and i think i it's easy i don't know if it's it's just so easy to just be like well he's you know he it turns out he's not that good of an actor but it definitely seems like when it comes to picking projects or like finding figuring out when to you know give an effort <laughs> in things mm-hmm. that he hasn't been the best judge of his own uh best interests I think of even something like The Village where it's like he, uh, we, uh, obviously yeah. people hate that movie, but like you and I, Joe, like that movie. Do you like that movie, Jordan? No, I Village? hate that movie. I Oh, I thought you liked that movie. No, I tweeted this week about how I fucking hate that movie. <laughs> the Village oh. is a movie with a lot of elements that I like that kind of like peter it out at the end. I actually think for The Village, a, a better version of The Village is a movie that I saw and loved at TIFF this year, The Other Lamb. <laughs> Oh, I didn't uh, see that oh, one. What's that right. about? Uh, the other lamb is um, about like this. It's about a cult, but it's like it's like all women, and then the guy is like uh, there's then like a man is like their god, and he's like he's like their father and their lover and their everything, and you and but it turns out that they you know it's actually taking place in present day, so they end up yeah. having to leave their compound because police show up, and it's just like yeah. you can't be doing this here. And so when whenever police show up in the other lamb, it's so instead of like uh, feeling like we're being tricked, it's like, of like, of course, this is a present day and it being a present day factors into the movie because it's why they why their life is disrupted. And also why the main character who is a young who is a young teenage girl starts to wonder, hey, I wonder if this is actually the life that I should be living. Maybe I should be like in school Mm -hmm. or something. And that's the Rafi Cassidy character? Yes. Of course yeah. it's Rafi Cassidy. That makes total perfect sense. That's why you cast <laughs> Rafi Cassidy in things. I should clarify, it's not that I think the village is, like, thoroughly worthless. I think my thing about why I get so angry at that movie is because so much of the movie is filmed gorgeously, and the cast is really great, and it does some, like, really, like, striking things with, like, the whole thing with, like, red is the bad color, and it, like, like when it shows up on screen, it's, like, very effectively creepy. I just... 
I that ending is unforgivable to me. Like the twist in that movie sells itself out so hard and it makes the rest of the movie make no sense in a way that like it falls apart in your hands immediately. And so much of the movie then becomes like trying to fool you and the audience. And it's just like, that doesn't make any sense. Why are they speaking in those weird accents when like you don't have to do that to like separate yourself from the world? And also, why didn't fucking William Hurt go on the little mission to get the the medicine who knew like so you wouldn't have had to worry about him finding out about the real world because he already knew about it i don't know the movie drives me fucking crazy it really, <laughs> you like, know, I it, those things don't necessarily bother me as much and like i think i was someone who like figured out the twist incredibly early so like for uh, me my experience of the movie will always be like this is indoctrination all of these plot holes that are there are because these people are crazy and it's about making but don't you think it's a better movie if that is revealed earlier in the movie so that then the audience can experience that mainstream movie but yeah this is the movie that m night Shyamalan is always going to make yeah um but i only brought up the village because as someone who will defend that movie Adrian Brody is the unforgivable thing about that movie. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. He is making a big old choice. It is the wrong choice, and it is a bad choice. Like that's my thing about Adrian Brody is like when he does decide he wants to act, it is bad. Yeah. Do you think that's Adrian Brody in that movie, or do you think that's the role that is written for him, though? I think that's Adrian Brody giving like a very long leash or just free reign. I guess. I mean, he's still being written as, like, you know, the slow character in town who, like, is the catalyst for all these things only because we have, you know, he's essentially a blank check for plot development because it's just like, oh, like, that guy did it. Because why? Because he's, you know, developmentally disabled or whatever. And it's like, it feels like very shortcutty in that way. But I get yeah. what you're saying about like, like I don't think Brody helps, helps matters any with um, the choices he makes as a performer for sure. Jordan, you're super right though, that he basically just like his career is being in Wes Anderson movies for the most part now. And like maybe those small weird bits that he gets to do are like perfect for him because like, I don't mind him anymore. Even something like, um, and I guess this is also a big choice, but this one worked for me. Like he, where he plays uh, Salvador Dali in Midnight in Paris, a movie I do not like, but he shows up <laughs> and just really like funny says his movie. own name. Yes, yeah, and it's funny. Yeah, the rhinoceros and all that. God, that that's a movie that like I liked because I was young, and then immediately when I stopped being young, I was like, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> what was yeah. I into? Uh, Even as somebody who liked Woody Allen movies, I remember seeing that movie and I saw it after like the hubbub of like, look at how much money this movie made. Yeah, I was like, people like this. What is there to like about this movie? That was, was still terrible. That was definitely still an era where I liked certain Woody Allen movies. Like I was such a fan. I'm still such a fan of Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I'm sure if I went back and watched it, there would be you know even more moments. But like, it's not like we didn't know about Woody Allen at the time, and even you know. And I think Vicky Cristina Barcelona is the kind of movie that like allowed me the most distance from him to just enjoy the movie. And yeah. I think Midnight, and even at the time, I remember watching Midnight in Paris and being like, this movie is some bullshit. But I really loved certain pockets of it so much. I talk all the time about how much I love Hiddleston and Alison Pill as the Fitzgeralds. Is oh, yes, I movie. loved that. 
And Brody was love... another part of that. And yeah. what's his name as Hemingway? God. Uh, Corey Stoll. Corey Stoll as Hemingway oh, is so Corey good. Corey Stoll. Before Corey Stoll was only villainous senators and bureaucrats. Back when he was sexy. He's so fucking sexy. And I feel like our American cinema tastes are so shit that he's never going to be as sexy as he deserves to be in a movie. But I also feel the same way about a lot of actors like Jeffrey Wright, who I would also fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, that's 100 sure. percent. I want Jeffrey Wright to narrate. <laughs> my bedroom <laughs> um. oh speak of, oh but getting back to this movie isn't it funny that this is like one of the few roles for Emmanuel Tricky like she's in this movie and she's in that Lance Bass movie on the line she's the one that Lance Bass is like that meets on oh the train God. and yes that's her <laughs> this was because this was the last the last gasp before she and Nina Dobrev like passed each other in the hallway and Nina Dobrev like stole her soul oh, and yeah. like That's and exactly put her face on her face and was just like, you belong to me now. Um, and then Nina Dobrev then went and did nothing with that too. Just like, okay, well I guess apparently nobody who looks exactly like this can have a, a thriving movie career. Oh my God. <laughs> on the before line, we accepted. like talk about anything Oscar related with this movie. I do want to also loop back to Beyonce to say, I think she's really good in this movie. She's really good in this movie. And she, she's fantastic in this movie. And it's one of those things where it backs up my uh, opinion of her in dream girls, not just mine. I'm sure, you know, a lot of other people have this opinion. You know, I love her, but the thing in dream girls about like, how that scene where she's recording Listen, where she performs Listen, is a masterpiece of acting through song, like acting through your singing and your performance of singing. And she does the same thing, almost like not quite verbatim, but like it's the same setup of she's in a studio, she's recording a thing, and she's just like telling you a whole fucking story on her face. And it is... Uh, like, you cannot tear yourself away from the screen while that is happening. It is thrilling. Yeah. Oh, my God. I I love her. I love her as Etta James in this movie. I really do. And, like, uh, it, it's so interesting. I mean, it kind of, like, also lends to uh, all of these, like, tragic stories of um, biracial women in entertainment. And, like... I, I would love to see like a documentary on that because there's like there's her and there's Eartha Kitt and like God, I was actually thinking about Eartha Kitt while watching this movie and thinking oh, about who do we man, cast in that biopic? Oh my God, the Eartha Kitt movie! Like that's something that I'd be really into. But I've seen so many people on the internet want it to be Tessa Thompson. I I've seen that. I don't I don't agree. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Like, I get it on a surface level, right. but I don't get it past that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, it's hard because, like, I I love Tessa Thompson, but Tessa Thompson has such um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking? A uh, kind of like a posh energy. Like, I remember even on Veronica Mars, she had a really posh mm -hmm. energy, and I mm -hmm. I feel like I need somebody with like a little bit more. A little bit more grit like it, it's so interesting because like someone like Beyonce who has been performing her entire life and has like it economically never really struggled but Beyonce has a lot of like clear insecurity um which you can we, which if you listen to her self-titled album a lot of it's about her insecurity you know just like this like feeling not good enough not working hard enough and you can see that in her performance um, mm -hmm. In a sense where I don't know if Tessa Thompson has that kind of vulnerability. 
for a role like that. I, I, de- I definitely get that. And, like, I'm glad you bring up the vulnerability that is in this performance where she plays Etta James because, like, it, we Joe and I have talked before about, like, things that feel like movie star performances. It's, like, it's definitely that, but she is also much more vulnerable than I expected from what this movie kind of is and how this movie feels very mainstream. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like we maybe would have been more ready to award this performance or give it the type of credit that it deserves today than we were at this time. Like, it felt a little bit like... I don't know. And of course, it's largely a lot of white people that were having this type of conversation around her where it's like, oh, she's trying to like not seem so prim and proper. She's cussing a lot in this movie. Oh, she's my God. Be- okay. Etta James through her drug at- she addiction. Says, when she like- says cum stains in this movie, I laughed. <laughs> I had to rewind. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. She just, like, wasn't taking this seriously at the time. And, like, may- maybe she would be more today. But, like, people are always nasty towards people, Beyonce, too. People were very like, nasty towards her. And also, like, it was there was also a contingent of time. In 2008, that was the time when black people turned on Beyonce. Black people turned on Beyonce, I think. Up until really about when she released the album four, and there was this idea yes, that she, yeah. like she went uh-huh. she went over to the white people. She doesn't like us anymore. She's not for us anymore. She got the Austin Powers money and whatever, and she just like, and it was just like a whole thing where like everyone hated her for a time, which a lot of people forget that the re- part of the reason why people love her so much now is because the hate for her was so intense. It's kind of a reaction mm-hmm. to that. And uh, it, 2008 was not a year that black people were rooting for Beyonce. It just wasn't. So no one was really checking for her or really anyone in this movie except for like Cedric the Entertainer, who black people have always loved. Um, which is funny because like Cedric's not good in this. He's a good performer. He's just not good in this. He's great in First Reformed. I just think that he's just like trying too hard he actually like i called my ex-fiance because you know i'm i'm from the south and my ex-fiance is very very southern and i was like cedric the entertainer is doing a parody of your voice in this movie (laughs) (laughs) when cedric Cedric the the entertainer Entertainer narration felt like an afterthought to me like maybe it was some type of studio note because it's barely there but then when it's there it's like why we don't so we don't need it you forget about it when you go long stretches without it but when they cut at the end to that photo on the wall and he's in the photo it's like muddy waters and uh it's all like all the main characters from the movie and also cedric the entertainer and i'm just like when did you like take this photo like you have been absent from this entire movie besides voiceover and all of a sudden it's just like oh no he was very important I, i i kind of wish there was this was more of a muddy water like like Gabrielle Union's character Geneva is so interesting that I just like wanted more like this whole thing where it's like Muddy Waters is like cheating on her but she can't have children so she feels like because she can't have children he can cheat on her because he's looking for someone to have children with and just like this this whole thing with like little Walter like it's just it's so interesting all by itself Mm -hmm. it's almost like that's really fascinating Columbus Short's going through his whole thing Chuck um, Chuck Berry's doing through his whole thing, and then by the time we get to Etta James, there's almost no time for her. Everything, <laughs> right. um, everything that like she goes on, like she has to go through this like. It's even it's not even like even a full journey. It's just like a snapshot of her life because it's just there's no room for her for some reason. Yeah, she feels like such an yeah. afterthought, which is strange because like 
Beyonce executive produced it. Like, did Beyonce just want the movie to be made regardless of whether or not she spent much time in it? It's 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 really Possibly. interesting. Um, so how uh, so who where was the Oscar conversation for this movie? I mean, I again, I feel like it happened really late. And I think when this movie kind of bombed, which, like, it, it got a very small release. Like, I w- more so than the fact that the movie only made $8 million, I was surprised that it topped out at just under 700 theaters it was ever released in. Um, which is crazy to me, because that's not really that wide of a release, especially a movie that's coming out at Christmas time. But, like, it was essentially out of theaters by Christmas. Um, and, like, some of the reviews were really good. Yeah. Um, notedly, like, A.O. Scott and Stephanie Zaharik put it in their top tens, but then it's, like, it's exactly in the range of the type of movies we talk about here, where it's, like, 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, same on Metacritic. Yeah. So, But I think also in terms of just, like, where was the Oscar buzz going, I think because this was a movie that didn't play any festivals, that didn't have any, like, advance... Um, sort of runway for itself before it opened. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people just sort of like looked at the subject matter that it was a music, you know, a music biopic that like are so successful. And when it was being released at the end of the year, and we're just like, oh, okay, well, like this is going to be a possibility. We'll wait and see once we watch it where the like the buzz is going to come from. And maybe Beyonce will be a thing. Maybe it's a Beyonce thing. Maybe it's a Jeffrey Wright thing. Maybe Jeffrey Wright just, like, owns this movie and, well, like, this is the best actor play for him. And then once people saw it... still recent enough from Adrian Brody's Oscar win that they were like, oh, he's the lead of this movie as well. Maybe that's a thing. Right. And I think then once people saw the movie and, like, even, even liking this movie, this movie's too much of an ensemble to be a strong acting play for any of the actual, you know, like the individual performers in the movie, even though I think Mm -hmm. like Jeffrey Wright's Oscar worthy in this movie, you can see why um, it would be hard to mount a supporting actor campaign, especially in this year where it's like Heath Ledger's already going to win for playing the Joker. Like that's already sort of like set in stone. And then the other nominees this year are like big performances like Michael Shannon ends up getting a nomination for Revolutionary Road for like bugging out his eyes for one whole scene in um in that movie. Wait, what are the other nominees this year? Chris Hummel. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic right. Thunder. Big, 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 yeah. Uh Josh Brolin for Milk, who kind of got like that whole supporting ensemble, plus he's essentially playing the villain of that movie that was big in the Oscar conversation. And Philip Seymour Hoffman for Doubt, who like I just don't think if that movie's in an Oscar race that that role is not getting nominated. Yeah. 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 Like that whole Not my favorite not my favorite category top to bottom, but like it's really tough to to imagine a such a subdued performance like Jeffrey Wright is giving in Cadillac Records breaking through that uh yeah yeah, yeah. it's all well, it's very huge. Well, i don't yeah i don't really think that like um black actors are really rewarded for subtlety i think they're often rewarded for going <laughs> going for it in a very like extra way i mean um, Precious is a great example of that, which is a movie that I still refuse to finish. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like it's always for the for the yelling, for the uh, for the really uh, melodramatic yeah. stuff. 
Or serving somebody else's emotional arc. Oh, yeah, 100%. That, like, when I, I was so, it was so interesting. Um, one of the early things that, like, had me watching the Oscars that I forgot to mention earlier is when Taraji P. Henson got that supporting nomination for Benjamin Button. And I that was, was just this like, year, this yeah. Year. That was so, what was that? <laughs> that was so interesting. I mean, beyond, I mean, like, I love Taraji and I don't want to take a nomination away from her, but Beyonce in this movie would be a much better. Oh, nomination. yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I feel like Benjamin Button. It was very much like a, you know, because she has that kind of, she plays like, unfortunately, kind of like a Mammy-esque kind of character. And I feel like those kind of characters get rewarded, just like nice, old, nice black Mm -hmm. women that are like teaching you. I mean, The Help is Help, a movie that I still have not seen. (laughs) The Help, I'm assuming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will never watch The Help. No, (laughs) I'm not doing it. Wait, so I want to bring up those. So 2008 Oscars, this was the first year of... I think just two back to back where maybe they did it three years in a row where they brought the former uh, Oscar winners out to present the category. Right. So this was um, in supporting actress. You got um, Whoopi Goldberg, I remember, presented to Amy Adams because of the nun thing. And um, wait, Eva Marie Saint presented to Penelope Cruz, maybe. I don't know. Penelope Cruz was presented to by, like, a screen legend. Right. And I think that's what it was, because I think it was, um, oh, this is going to be so, like, I'm so, like, telling on myself that I don't know this by heart, because I literally watched this clip, like, last week. I watch it so um, semi-often. I'm going to pull it up. Thank you. Just because I can't remember either. It was such, like, the best actress ones were the ones that were easier to remember, because I remember, like, Angelica Houston was one of them, and I remember that Goldie Hawn uh, presented to Taraji that year. Um, Angelica Houston maybe presented to Marissa Tomei? I can't remember. And Marissa Tomei was, that was The Wrestler, right? That was The Wrestler Mm -hmm. nomination. And then who had won... So, uh, the year, oh, Tilda was one of them, of course, because she had won just the year before. Okay, so Ava Marie Saint presented to Viola Davis. Whoopi Goldberg presented to Amy Adams. Tilda Swinton uh, presented to Marissa Tomei, which I find a little weird, but that's fine. Goldie Hawn presented to Tarashi P. Henson. And Angelica Houston presented to uh, Penelope Cruz. So yeah, that's a good lineup. Yeah, I think that's a good lineup. So then, if Beyonce, and it's like unexpected, and that's partly why I kind of loved this. Yeah, but so if Beyonce does get nominated for Cadillac Records, who among this five or among like any of the other like living supporting actress winners, like you could pull like Meryl Streep up there because she had won for Kramer versus Kramer. And like, can I be a little shady? Well, yes, no, be a little a shady. My God, yes, please. My little shady answer was going to be because of Dina Jones, it should be Diana Ross. But she but never won an Oscar. I won't go. Th- I mean, honestly, like, you know, they would probably go with a musician. So I would say Cher. Ooh, oh, I would love that. I'd be very into that. Now I'm also thinking about what what a moonstruck like role for Beyonce would be like which is very fun for me <laughs> I will yeah. say I definitely want to see Lady Gaga's moonstruck role oh I yes I want yes. them to do this again at the Oscars the five the five former winners I know it would never happen again because like we're all about making the Oscars as short as possible but like yeah once... this clip including uh, Penelope Cruz's speech is seven and a half minutes honestly long. though so, so, so it's seven minutes what 
are you gonna yeah. do? Who cares? Like, who cares? You're all gonna we're all gonna die eventually in a <laughs> global warming <laughs> catastrophe. True. Once the Oscars makes its move to Netflix, which will happen eventually, we'll bring this back. We'll like have a whole thing. The other person I think would have been a really interesting pre- uh, presenter for Beyonce is Angelina Jolie. Just in terms Ooh. of like worldwide stardom. Oh yes, mm-hmm. I would. I'd be interested in that too. Angelina Jolie is such an interesting person. I hope she writes a book one day because I find yes. her to be very fascinating. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, you know what the Oscars would have done though? Actually, what they actually would have done. Sorry to like bemoan this like topic further, and it would have been a little shady. Is they would have brought out Jennifer Hudson. Oh no! Why? That would have been so boring. It would have been, but I bet you that's what they would have done. I love Jennifer Hudson. I will always like stand by Jennifer Hudson, but public speaking is not her thing. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. She has other talents. She has She's many great. other talents. Yeah. Yes, oh man, God. Now I'm I'm looking at um <laughs> looking at the notes here, looking at looking at Adrian Brody's roles. <laughs> God. Oh, his post. Yes, I'm looking. Yeah. Oscar winning. Roles. I'm looking specifically Yikes. at the jacket. <laughs> the jacket, which I saw in the theater for some godforsaken oh reason. Like God. I don't know how boring my week was that week. That I'm just like I'm just gonna go and see the jacket at like a matinee. I remember seeing it in like the middle of the afternoon. I must have been unemployed. What was going on in my life? <laughs> so what a this- time. So this movie, you know, uh, were there any, like, big musical biopics that, like, had, like, did the musical biopic go away for a bit, I feel like? Because I, I, what is... I mean, this was probably the time where, like, you did actually see some fatigue or maybe just the movies weren't good enough for it or, like, because there's, like, there's a lot of musical biopics at this time that failed. I definitely think the kind of, like, back-to-back Ray walk-the-line thing definitely made it a talking point that, like, people were tired of these kind of movies. Yeah. Um, So, like, I don't think that that helped this movie. Um, And, like, it, it doesn't feel like it really got a full shot even on release and maybe some of that is this is an mgm movie and like mgm especially this era had a lot of like stops and starts yeah and trying to like get movies out there um i don't know well this was the same year as famous musical biopic frost nixon right that was about (laughs) a musical duo oh man frost i mean it is basically a musical biopic with a trailer that joe pulled up today oh jordan you have to look this up after we're done recording look up the trailer for frost nixon the musical choices song cues will make you laugh your they're frankly insane it's really really like what is god frost nixon i don't even i used to think that that was a good movie and then i realized that like i just really like frank langella that's it yeah (laughs) that's very possible yeah Before we move on, I do want to say that the actress lineup, are you ready for this? Sophia Loren presenting to Meryl Streep. I remember that. Sophia Loren never took took her hand off her hip during that entire presentation to Streep. It looked (laughs) so confrontational. What a legend. (laughs) We love her. Guadalajara. Basically, this is the cast of nine on stage. Um, And then Shirley MacLaine presented to Anne Hathaway. We'll never forget that. What a beautiful moment. Yeah. Um, and like Anne Hathaway is like sobbing because of it. I would too. Um, we love Shirley. We've talked about this. A Marion Cotillard won or uh, presented to Kate Winslet, who like oh, if there was any other sign that they were winning, because this was the year after Marion won. Yes, right. right yes. No? Um, 
Uh, Nicole Kidman presented to Angelina Jolie, talk about the power that has. Um, <laughs> and then Holly Berry presented to Melissa Leo, which like I that was one of the things that I liked. I was like, oh, those are those feel like very similar small movies that both of those actresses had like their Oscar trajectory related to. So like the Holly Berry Melissa Leo one is actually aside from like look at these famous people that I'm like this can actually be thoughtful and interesting. I always love it when actors or some other film professionals enthuse about movies that you wouldn't normally like make the instant connection that they would have, that they would enthuse about. Like that's my whole thing is if I was ever hired to produce the Oscars and yes, I have thought about this multiple times is that like my thing throughout the night would just be like little vignette montages of like before each category, not too long of like other people throughout the industry talking about the specific elements of the movies that are nominated right like they would talk about Mm -hmm. the art direction in the art direction movies right about like what they loved about it and just this sense of like other people in the industry like showing their appreciation for the movies of the year like that's why i watch the oscars i watch for like the community not just like you know whatever jerking them, themselves off for each other but like actually like expressing appreciation no for i the love that i love the idea you want to of... know who is the secret stan of uh I, I can't think of anything this year but like you want to know that like marianne cotillard is rooting for waves and you want right. to know that <laughs> yeah. like Nicole Kidman rides hard for Parasite. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Right, right. I want to know that, like, Ansel Elgort really, really wanted Lupita Nyong'o to get a nomination for us. Like, that kind of a thing. Like, absolutely that. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. I would love I would love to know which um, people in Hollywood are really, really into Uncut Gems, just because I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm Uncut Gems Hive, and that's been the most surprising thing about this year for me. How much I love Uncut Gems and how much I want Uncut Gems to succeed. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know who's going to do the Uncut Gems presentation? Shirley McLean. Oh, I would love that. That'd be so good. Um. So, um, so some of these um, nominations. Uh, so Beyonce got nominated for a satellite award. Okay, the satellites. We always talk about the satellites <laughs> because they are non-awards. But what's interesting about this satellite nomination, because like they'll nominate things before they see movies, is the sporting actress category that year has no Oscar nominees. I know, even though it has Penelope Cruz for Elegy, the Isabel, the Isabel Cuisé movie. Um, yeah, like not for the, not for the movie that she won the Oscar for in that same year. It's it's deeply <laughs> deeply wild. Oh my god, Elegy! I love the Let idea re- that anyone watched Elegy. But anyway, go right. ahead. <laughs> right. I remember that year. Like that was, of course, the snobby thing of like she's actually really good in Elegy. So <laughs> Vicky Christina. Oh, Barcelona. that was the um, uh, that was the uh, Sally Hawkins in Maudie of its time, right? Absolutely. Like, oh, oh, Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water, fine. But did you see her in Maudie? Like, I still oh, haven't shit. seen Maudie. How is Maudie? <laughs> it's fine. I didn't like it. It's fine. It's whatever. I thought it really was, like, kind of reinforcing how this man uh, treated her poorly. Um, so that bothered me. However, this satellite lineup, they have six nominees, as we mentioned, Beyonce and Cadillac Records and Penelope Cruz and Elegy. I can't be mean to the satellites too much this episode because their winner was Rosemary DeWitt for Rachel Getting Married. Oh, Deeply that's deserved. so good. I love that. 
Um, yes, we love her. We love that performance. How that was not more in the Oscar hunt, I will never understand. I know. It's um, crazy. It's such a, like, classic. It's, like, it's featured the exact right amount. Like, not too much and not too little in that movie. Like, it's the perfect foil for the lead performance that you did nominate. Like, it's weird to think that you could nominate mm-hmm. one and not the other. Like, that performance is so attached to, like, the emotional crest of that movie. Yes. Plus, um, plus uh, Beanie Feldstein, the titular role gif. Like, that's basically... Exactly. That's my argument for Rosemary DeWitt. She plays someone named Rachel who gets married yeah, in the process. Like, what yes. else do you want? Fucking awards oh my God. voters. And like, that, get it and together. That wedding, that wedding deserves an Oscar. What What a wedding. I, I, I know a lot of that. people at the time were just, like, annoyed that it was this sort of, like, like boho hippie whatever but i was just like give me more I've never fucking seen a jonathan demi movie give me a goddamn drum circle that lasts for seven hours that's yes. what i want out of that wedding that's all i, I want love it. <laughs> yeah make the groom impromptu start singing a neil young song throw tamira gray throw tamira gray in there and i am i'm sold like, honestly i love that that's like rachel getting married that wedding is like the good version of the last wedding that i went to in georgia which was like a very <laughs> i went to a very christian wedding wedding where the entire groom's party including like the actual groom got instruments and performed christian rock at this wedding like christian rock at this wedding and then the gates behind you went clunk and like they locked him (laughs) you're like you are here that was did it take place on a submarine (laughs) it was just how locked in were you church and they were just like going and i was sitting there i was in the last pew and even that didn't feel far back enough (laughs) they're not locking you into the rachel getting married wedding you can wander you can go all throughout the house you can go fuck a man you just met at aa in the basement like you can swim in the pool you can like put a little candle on the pool for your grief like uh it's a very roaming uh, free home i'm gonna rewatch that movie anyway uh what was uh the other three satellite nominations not anywhere near the Oscar race, uh, the aforementioned Angelica Houston for the Chuck Palahniuk movie, Choke. A movie I saw in theaters and don't remember seeing. Like, I don't remember a At thing all. from that movie, but I remember Fucking that I saw it in theaters. Choke, man. Yeah. Uh, remember when people were like, oh, when's it gonna happen for Sam Rockwell? Well, I know, just like you had to wait a decade. Maybe it should wah, wah. Um, then Emma Thompson for Brideshead Revisited. She's so Sophie Okonedo for The Secret Life of Bees. Wow! A Secret Life of Bees nomination? Fucking Secret hell. Life of Bees, by the way, was the movie that swept Cadillac Records at the NAACP Image Awards that year, as I was going through my research. That's like, so at, funny. <laughs> at every turn, it was Secret Life of Bees was, like, thwarting it. It was amazing. Secret Life of Bees isn't even a good movie. I just... <laughs> I, don't know. I won't see it because of bees. I hate bees, but like <laughs> otherwise, it's just like oh I my like god. I like Gina Prince Bythewood. Like love her. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I like her, but it, yeah, it's just like oh man, all of these black women are touching this white girl's life in different ways, and <laughs> right. isn't it so? Aren't we so inspiring? Like, like I almost feel like with movies like that, it's like okay, well, um, white people are terrible to us, but aren't we so kind to them? Here's some awards. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie, but just from the poster alone, it looks very soothing, like a candle, so I am not surprised that you say that that's not good. I guarantee you this book with the movie poster cover is somewhere on my mother's bookshelf somewhere. Like, that's exactly the genre of, like, pleasant-looking, like, 
covers of like mo- like whatever tableaus. It's a candle movie. Yeah. It's a candle movie. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Um, I guess the last word on the Cadillac Records uh, awards trajectory stuff is that it was like one of the many potential original song nominations. Beyonce could have been a song nominee for Cadillac Records for Once in a Lifetime. It was nominated at the Globes, which like famously will nominate more fa- the more famous people. It was nominated against uh, Wally with Peter Gabriel and Thomas Newman for Down to Earth. Love that movie. Love that song. The only Oscar nominee in the Globes lineup. But then there is also The Wrestler from Bruce Springsteen. Uh, apparently there's a Bolt song written by Miley Cyrus. <laughs> and then the bane of my existence, Gran Torino, <laughs> is just a song of Clint Eastwood <laughs> having uh, toll breathing. But that was the one that was like performed by Jamie piano. Cullum, right? Like it's so like... Uh, I mean, theoretically, theoretically. <laughs> they only ever touted around uh, Clint Eastwood, you know, breathing into a microphone. And then I love that the Oscars were like, um, forget all of that business. We're just nominating stuff from Slumdog Millionaire. Like, that's all we're doing is... We'll eventually have to do Grand Torino, but I love yeah. that that movie is like, I'm not racist, I'm Jesus! <laughs> Wait, what? I hate that movie. Oh, uh, we'll save it for a I know so little about that movie. All I know about that movie is Get Off My Lawn. That's the only thing I know about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. (sighs) Cadillac Records, I liked so much more than the imagined Gran Torino in my mind. So I'll say that. (laughs) I really liked it. I really enjoyed that movie. I liked it Like, top to bottom. I thought it was... And this is the second time that I saw it. And I think the first time, I don't think... I think it was one of those things where I was catching up on movies at the end of a year... And mm-hmm. was just sort of just like getting through as much as possible, like trying to multitask. And I don't remember enjoying it as much as I did this time, the previous time. So I really got to appreciate the performances in this movie, Jeffrey Wright and Beyonce. And I don't know. I was glad. I'm, I'm always glad. to. Do you think some of that is like a musical biopic fatigue at that time? Which is not like we don't have it now, but like... This at least has some sparks in it that are fun to watch. And I think spreading it across multiple characters does a lot for breaking that that sort of formulaic cycle of the musical biopic. And that at least in this movie, they're interacting with each other. Their stories are at sometimes, you know, crossing each other's. And it keeps it from, I think my big problem when I talked this year about, I know a lot of people really liked Rocketman and I was really frustrated that Rocketman made a lot of the same mistakes that a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody did. And it all comes down to the formulaicness of the, you know, the sequence of events. And I think at least with Cadillac Records, because it is more of an ensemble than other musical biopics, it is able to shake that up a little bit. So happy for that. I agree. Yeah. Even if I think that that's maybe some of the reason why, like, as far as an awards contender, people didn't know how to approach it. Like, when there's so many doors to enter into this thing, which door do you take? But I, I think if Beyonce had been more respected at the time as an actress, it that exactly would have been the door that people would have yeah. used to nominate this for things. What do you think, Jordan? 
Yeah, um, yeah, I think I think everything that you said is true. And I do think that, like, I mean, for ex- if Beyonce did a role like this now, she would be appreciated so much more. But I also think that the backlash would be such that, like, everybody would just start being like, oh, she's terrible and everything. She's terrible in Cadillac Records, this movie I've never seen. Like, it's, I don't know. It, it, it's tough. I don't know if there is really a perfect year for a movie like this. But uh, perhaps now, since we're doing musical biopics again, maybe <laughs> it might have it might have been better now. But I don't know. I almost feel like it might have been a worse movie if it was made now. <laughs> Somehow. I mean, that's also very possible. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Should we move on to the IMDb game? Let's. Joseph, would you like to tell our lovely listeners what the IMDb game is? I mean, of course I would. Uh, The IMDb game, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mentioned that up front, it's only fair. And after two wrong guesses, um, you will receive the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that is not enough, it becomes a free-for-all of hints because we are sporting that way. So... Chris, this is we have the three-way round robin. How do we want to organize ourselves? Do you would you like to divvy that up? You are tend to be good. All right, why don't then uh you give to Jordane. Jordane can give to me and I will give to you. Okay. Right. I love that plan. Uh Jordane, as our guest, would you like to guess first or give first? Um or have the two of us go first and then you can just fight it out first (laughs) the two of you can go first that's fine (laughs) okay Okay. all right so chris i will give to you i went the i arrived at my actor through jeffrey wright's recent career and of course he has spent the last several years on hbo's westworld which is a big big sprawling cast including as i said the w Mm -hmm. reunion of him and tandy newton but i'm not going to give you tandy newton i am going to give you one of the other actors in this show, James Marsden. James Cutie Marsden. Cutie Patootie, James Marsden. I don't know why Rosie O'Donnell Noted. spent all those years calling Tom Cruise a Cutie Patootie when definitionally, <laughs> you look at James Marsden's face and that is the definition of a Cutie Patootie right there. <laughs> okay, my, my first question is because I haven't watched season two of Westworld. Is he still on Westworld? I mean, I don't know if he's going to be on Beyond Season 2. I would feel like it would be tough to continue him on, but I think that would be true of yeah, a lot of like people. Yeah, like it's an evolving... I think they're being very, very hush-hush. I also don't know how much of the new season of Westworld is actually filmed yet. I don't know. I think they're being very, right. very secretive about it. So hmm. uh, my answer to that uh, is I don't uh, know. We'll get a new Westworld season every five years. It'll <laughs> right. be uh, its own thing. Right. Um, well, James Marsden, you didn't mention there's TV. Is there TV? There's not TV. All right, so no Westworld, so he's not. I was right to assume that he is not much of a factor for that in the long run. Um, Well, he's a noted cast member of Hairspray, who is also on the poster, so Hairspray is definitely there. Hairspray is definitely there. Everybody on Hairspray uh, has that movie in there known for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of which of the X's men he would be (laughs) in there for. So I'm going to say the first one. Correct. The first X-Men, 2000. The trouble with James Marsden is, like, all of his roles are small in things. Uh-huh. 
So I'm maybe gonna go for like second lead or at least like the romantic foil and say 27 dresses. You're disturbingly good at this. I hate you. Yes, 27 dresses. Okay. Recently discussed when we did the Katherine Heigl um, IMDb game. Yes. Um, okay, so James Mars. I love the poster for 27 dresses, not to take a side, but like all of the credits are written uh, like. In the shape, in the of, shape of the dress. And it's I all like sort of like scrawled. Me too, Jordan. Thank you so much for backing me up on this. <laughs> I love that movie. It's so cute. Well, because like I'll do like I do bad romance and people will ask me all the time if I were going to do 27 dresses. And I was like, I would never because it's good. We're never because it's good. It. Yeah, I, yeah we, we'll definitely before we do the send off, we'll talk about your show. But Jordan's show is amazing. If you guys haven't subscribed already, we'll, we'll talk about it again. But definitely go right. and subscribe now. All right. So, Chris, you're um, three of three so far. This is the problem with James Marsden, and this is why he's a really good IMDb game challenge, is, like, he's in a lot of things, and maybe things you wouldn't remember him for, because he's probably, like, fifth build in half of them. Uh-huh. Um, and there's no TV, and I know that he's done other TV, I think. Um, I'm just gonna go with a movie that I think is gonna be really high on, like, whatever their algorithm is, and say The Notebook. No, although that's a great guess. Because I always forget that he is okay. the the guy she doesn't go for in the notebook. And I suppose you can't tell me at this point if there is another um, X-Men movie in there. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to guess not, because it's really, uh, outside of maybe a few franchises, people really only show up for one movie, and it's usually the first. I will say, um, also, just sort of like speaking outside of this particular game, my tendency as a player of the IMDb game is if I see an actor with two movies from the same franchise, I just won't pick them. for. I just think it's less interesting to do. So, like, uh, yeah, do right, with that right. what you will. Okay. Um, well, that was leading me in the path of, that I was going to guess, and I'm going to say totally forgotten movie, forgotten definitely that he is in it, and maybe we should because of the director. I'm going to say Superman Returns. Oh, also forgot that he's in that. Because he's the Lois Lane, like, yes, he is. real love interest in that. Uh, yes, good guess, but no, not that one. So two strikes. Oh. I'm going to give you the year. The year you are missing is 2007. Which is the hairspray year. Which is the hairspray year. Which is enchanted. Which is enchanted. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Great performance. I should have maybe guessed that. That 2007, 2008 like year for Marsden, where he does hairspray enchanted and 27 dresses back to back to back, are like the most charming anybody's ever been in three consecutive movies. It's just like, we were like for a hot minute convinced that James Marston was like really going to happen. Yeah. And other James Marston television, by the way, you mentioned that he was on other TV shows. He was on Ally McBeal for a season and he was on a TV show that I want to say was on like maybe like ABC family called second Noah. Where he mm. was like, I think it was about a foster family, and it was like he was like the old, the oldest, and like the cute one. He was like, I remember that was when like James Marsden like cute teen stuff happened, where he was in like a lot of like Tiger Beat type stuff and like oh, late nineties disturbing sort of, behavior, like, which I rewatched oh, yeah. this month for my horror movie little project where I'm watching one horror movie every day. That movie is 
bad, but also like kind of forward thinking, at least in terms of like it's really front loading, like rape culture and like toxic masculinity stuff, like through the guise of this Twilight Zoney, like yeah. all the boys are becoming these like Stepfordy zombies, but like their Stepfordness is expressed in um, a sort of you know feeling rightfully in uh, uh, entitled to sex from the local women, and it's just like okay, like that's you know that's not a bad angle, like good job. Hmm. But also he is he's a little miscast in that movie where he's like the bad boy who moves to town, and it's just like the bad boy James no, Marsden. No, I don't know about that. he can never be. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. He's much more inclined to be, like, the Stepfordy, like, perfect boy, right? Like, that's him in the notebook. Anyway, good job, Chris. Thank you. Yes. I appreciate it. Okay. All right, so, Jordan, it is your turn up to bat. Um, For you, I have um, uh, a fellow actor who has been in a musical biopic, won an Oscar for his musical biopic, will possibly be in the Oscar hunt this year for Just Mercy. I am talking about Jamie Foxx. Okay, Jamie Foxx. Um, well, uh, I assume Ray is there. Yes, Ray is there. Oh, trying to think. Jamie Foxx has been in so much stuff, but I don't... Uh, is there any is, at least is, the is, like Oscar winner for a biopic obvious answer? Is there is there any like television or anything there? Is it... there is no television? Wow, no that's television, so funny no because support. like you know the Jamie Fox show, but then again, yeah. a lot of people in living color people don't know about the Jamie Fox show. I noticed. Um, Miami Vice. No, not Miami Vice. <sighs> wow. Um. I'm trying to think, because uh, he was in, he was in another Oscar Beatty thing, but I also feel like it wasn't really. Uh, it, it, I will give you the little bit of hint at that all of these were somehow in the Oscar. Race. Oh yeah. my God! Wait, does that mean that the soloist is one of them? No, the soloist that I keep trying to badger Joe into doing an episode on. Um, no, not the soloist. So you're going to get the years. You have 2012, 2004, and 2006. Oh, Django Unchained? Django Unchained. Yep. It's 2012. Okay. One of these also has another loop back to the episode we're talking about. Oh, Dreamgirls! Dreamgirls is in there. I'm so happy that Jamie Foxx gets Dreamgirls on there. I mean, he's topped build and he's good in the movie too, but like, we know how much I love it. Okay, so. So I'm happy that it's there. Plus, Beyonce's in it, so like, that was another reason, but I wasn't going to get that. Okay, so Dreamgirls, Ray. 2004. And the same you mentioned another movie from the same director as this movie <sighs> it's also the year that he was nominated for ray right yeah see 2004 all i think about is ray what did he do in 2004 that wasn't ray <sighs> this was technically before ray okay <sighs> but it happened in that same oscar it year did. okay uh 
fuck. I'm trying to think. Cause like 2000, 2003 for Jamie <gasps> Foxx, there was, there was breaking all the rules. There was Ray, there was his music career, which is most of what I remember from 2004 was his music career. <laughs> um, now blame it on the alcohols playing in my brain, which does not <laughs> help me at all. I will say this is a movie that like Jamie Foxx is incredible in, but it was not sold on Jamie Foxx being in this movie. It was oh, sold on his wait, 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 wait. Collateral. Yep. It is collateral. Oh man, yeah, collateral is a movie that my mother because like my mom's a nurse, so she works so she works like all day and she can only see movies in the middle of the night. And she wanted to see collateral. She didn't know what to do with me, so she took me to see collateral with her. <laughs> and, and I just like I was so tired. It was it was 2004. I was in middle school. So I actually have not seen collateral since middle school. I need to rewatch it because I hear that Jada Pinkins is good I have in it. Either, but I re- yeah, I remember him being really good. I remember Javier Bardem being wild and like Tom Cruise doing a thing to- that maybe I would like more now than I did. I need time. to watch more Michael Mann. <laughs> also, Mark Ruffalo is stylized wildly in that movie, too. He's like oh my yeah, undercover cop. Yeah. <sighs> oh, my goodness. OK, so, Jordan, who do you have for Joe? Who do I have for Joe? Um... <laughs> Uh, uh, for some reason, even though like only really tangentially related, when I think about this era of film and when I think about Cadillac Records and Ray and everything, I think about Terrence Howard. So I'm going to give you Terrence Howard. Ooh, that's Your a really Terrence good Howard. One. Terrence Howard. Well, we talked about Taraji in, um, this year, this Oscar year. So, of course, the Hustle and Flow connection there. Hustle and Flow has got to be my first. Okay, yes. let me pull it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm taking a moment to pull it up so that I can. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, are definitely. any of them? Are any of them television? I love that you've chosen this for multiple reasons. Uh, I'm looking at it oh, now. Oh man, are any of them TV? No. Okay, so no Empire. Terrence, uh, the first Iron Man. Yes, oh. you got it. All right. So two right. more. A sneak um, uh, MCU in there also. Yeah. He didn't get to stick around, unfortunately. He did not. That was salary demands, right? Where he like, yeah, it was he, wanted, he wanted to be paid as much as Robert Downey Jr. was being paid. And they were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we are planning on paying Robert Downey Jr. all of the money. So... We will not be also paying you all of the money. Um, making something like $80 million off of the most wild. recent Avengers movie. All right, I'm going to guess. I always guess this movie, and it's never this movie, but I'm going to guess Prisoners. No, no, okay. not Prisoners. That's prisoners. such a. I, I love that movie. I love. That's a movie that I love that I never want to watch again, but I, but I really loved Prisoners. I, I've only seen it the once, and I remember really liking it at the time. Prisoners is a movie that should show up on a bunch of people's IMDb game and doesn't. I don't even think it shows up for Maria Bello. Which is weird. Yeah. She hasn't made four movies better than that. Um, so when do I give the years? Do I give it like If I get one more if I get one more guess wrong. Okay. All right. And I am gonna guess Terrence Howard. Huh. Um, I'm trying to think of like if he had anything before Hustle and Flow. 
but I can't think of anything. He definitely did. I mean, he definitely did, but I can't think of what it is. So I'm going oh. to guess. You're going to be really mad at one of these things. You <laughs> oh, no. <guessed. laughs> oh, no. I am going to guess Red Tails. No, no, not yeah. Red Tails. And, and Red Tails was after Hustle and Flow. Um, oh, I know. I just was. I just wanted to throw a Terrence Howard video. I'd like, <laughs> be a lot happier about Red Tails being on there. Oh than no, either oh, of the two remaining yes. titles. Um, so the years are two thousand four and two thousand five. Oh boy. Okay. So I was really circling around that and then went away from it. Okay. Two thousand four, two thousand five. So just before Hustle and Flow, he made oh doy of course i will say the 2004 i'm pretty sure is actually a 2005 it just is a festival movie in 2004 yeah oh 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 oh, oh, oh. all right all right all right so that's crash yes yes of that, course that motion picture that that film right. <laughs> his involvement in crash was always um sort of swallowed up by the fact that hustle and flow was that same year and you could all point to that just like no 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 look oh also speaking of crash we didn't mention that matt Dillon was originally supposed to play the adrian brody role in cadillac records oh my god that would have also been that bad been yes i was so gonna say bad. i don't know if that's better i don't, I don't think that's see, better i don't want to see matt Dillon like no with the black woman i don't like that. no <laughs> i matt that's one Dillon of those things we're like playing serial killers now and that's the we can keep it yeah there. matt yeah. Dillon may well be an awesome person and like is very possible but after crash no i don't ever want to see nope. him in a romantic nope. context with a black woman ever again oh, like it's yeah. so no, no never it's like it's like burned into my brain that mo- like the only thing that made <laughs> crash like go down a little bit easier is how completely insane <laughs> ludicrous is in that movie <laughs> 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 and ludicrous is also in hustle and flow and <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was so much crossover oh. who was i i was tweeting the other day Somebody tweeted about how, um, I think it was Cam Collins, maybe. Somebody um, was tweeting about how Sandra Bullock's line in Crash, where she goes, I'm angry all the time, and I don't know why. And they're like, that's a mood, honestly. And I'm just like, kind of yes. Like, that's the one thing from Crash that has fully endured for me, was like, every once in a while, I'll just think, I'm angry all the time, and I don't know why. Sandra Bullock in Crash is kind of like, she's... She's, you know, playing like a really irritating character, but I love yeah. the places that she goes there. And she's so like America's sweetheart in a way where I worry that she's never going to get to go to a place like that again, where she's just like yelling at Brendan Fraser. Man, I love that. <laughs> love yelling at oh Brendan Fraser. God. Love it. Remembering the layers of Crash never get any easier because I fully haven't thought about Brendan Fraser being in that movie yep. in a solid Yep, he is decade. in that movie. Brendan Fraser was wow. in a lot of movies like Crash. Crash was just the only one that was actually We really should do that off. as a game sometime is are they or are they not What's in the most Crash? unfortunate person in the cast of Crash? Well, yeah, possible. But just like name a list of actors and just be like, were they in Crash? And like, I'd probably get half of them wrong. <laughs> I like this game. Uh, you still have I one? Know, I still have yes, one. Yes, movie. Yes, okay. Okay. And I don't... okay, I will say the reason I was so happy when I looked at this lineup um, when Jordan mentioned it is because this movie, you bastard had stumped me for a long time on a previous episode and i think you deserve this yeah wow this is i was this is a movie that i have a lot of affection for that is a complete mess but i appreciate 
the 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 mess levels of this movie. <laughs> All right, so this was you one. You forget that you gave me stymied. this movie because it was a long. So time another ago. actor in this movie is somebody we've done for uh, an IMDb game, and it's stymied Chris. And then Terrence Howard is the other actor, or act, is, is the other actor in this movie opposite maybe a lead actress? I'm overthinking this now already. Um, yeah, it's it, this is a movie uh, that has like a real like hodgepodge. Like the four main characters of this movie, like in in any other circumstance, would not be all together in a movie it's very strange and it's from a you know if this if this helps at all it's a black director <laughs> okay is he in four brothers yes he is in really? four brothers yes who is he in four brothers i don't I hate that you got that so fast because <laughs> <laughs> he's not one of the four brothers no he's, he's not he's like is I he think the bad guy no he plays like a cop i think he plays a okay. cop um because right. yeah because it says lieutenant he plays lieutenant green oh there we go All yeah right. that's a cop but man four brothers like mark Wahlberg, tyrese gibson andre benjamin and garrett headland garrett headland man and w- who joe gave me as an imdb game challenge because he is what not a <laughs> garrett, garrett headland's garrett headland's no butt is in this movie prominently so yeah i had taraji's no- also in this movie that's interesting well, yeah, I mean, that's a John Singleton staple, Taraji. <laughs> yeah, and Shuecha Legia for This is a good cast. Let's all yeah. watch Four Brothers, you guys. <laughs> it's very... I mean, it's a very cute... It's a very cute movie. It's a little post-racial-esque, because it's like, yes, like, <laughs> right. we're all brothers, and, like, we... This, like, we owe everything to this white woman. Um, right, right, Finola Flanagan. Yeah, yes, oh, man. Oh, man, she's so good. <laughs> Uh, Might rewatch Four Brothers, honestly. Let's all go watch Four Brothers. Sophia Vergara is in there too. That was the first time I'd ever seen her because she plays um, Terrence Howard's girlfriend. No, not Terrence. She plays Tyrese's girlfriend in that movie, and she's so funny. Yes. (laughs) And this was like okay. I like to imagine that like Tyrese was sort of looking for a movie with a squad and was like, maybe this, maybe four brothers. And then fast and the furious is just like, would you like to be in another fast and the furious movie? And he's like, yes, absolutely. Oh my God. And then he like jumped to that. (laughs) I never expected like any of the characters from too fast, too furious to come back. And I was like, wow, we're really bringing them all in. (laughs) Yeah. Like that that weirdly that that's the movie that sort of unlocked the team building of that. It was just like, we're going to bring back Tyrese Gibson and ludicrous and it's gonna be as someone who's never life. seen any of those movies did they bring back eva mendez sort of she's in the post credits of i want to say f- either four or five whatever was the one i think it was the post credits of five when she like shows the like surveillance photo that like shows that michelle rodriguez is still alive oh yeah and so it's like barely mm. eva mendez she gets like a scene because <sighs> you can't bring eva mendez back because she is one of the many like people that they hooked up Vin Diesel with before they re- remembered that, like, Letty is his one true love. So now it has to be, like, where they, like, brought back um, Gal Gadot and was just like, oh, right, like, you and Vin Diesel spent half a movie flirting with each other, but, like, we're gonna forget all of that happened because, like, we have to, like, it's 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 Letty. It's always been Letty. I do. Like, oh, okay. I love how dedicated they are to the Fast and the Furious universe. Like, have you ever watched those short films that, like, connect to the movies together? It's, no, but I love that. It's so elaborate. It's so much. 
I love that this conversation oh for Cadillac Records had space for talk of the Fast and the Furious, and uh, we went some, down some avenues in this. I always like that about our show. So thank you, Jordan. You never know where we're gonna go. Yeah. But for now, I think that is our episode. If you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Jordane, please tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at J-O-U-R-D-A-Y-E-N, which is the phonetic pronunciation of my name, and people still can't pronounce it um uh and you can find me there and on instagram and you can um find a bad romance podcast um we're also on twitter at bad romance pod with the zero instead of an o and you can listen to us on spotify um stitcher all of your podcast apps and i and i write so you can find my writing on like bitch media av club i'm all over the place yeah Definitely listen to Bad Romance. It's incredible. It is like the uh, like romantic comedy version of this had Oscar buzz. Listeners, <laughs> gotta check yes. it out. Joe, tell our listeners where they can find more of you sure. and your stuff. Hop on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the exact same way. Still plugging through my Halloween project. I have not fallen behind. You guys, I don't want to jinx it, but I think I'm going to like maybe make it through the rest of October. Having seen a new horror movie every day. Not a new. Sometimes it's stuff that I've seen before. But you know what? Cut me a break. So, yeah, it's been fun. Love to log. Love to log. Uh, and I'm all day. <laughs> <laughs> I am Chris File. You can find me on Twitter at Chris V File. That's F E I L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. And I also write regularly for the film experience. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mebius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please wrap our heart in clovers the night you leave a review. That's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. 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 And bye. And baby, baby, I'd rather be blind, boy, than to see you walk away, walk away from me, yeah. And baby, 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 I'd rather be blind, boy, than to see you walk away, walk away from me.